0: At this time, good morning, everyone again to lighthouse bible church today just want to give you a couple of reminders as we start we are supporting the healing hands of christ's home for lepers and we invite you to participate in that if you if you have the ability to do so also again gbc pakistan grace bible church pakistan once again sponsoring their christmas care packages for for their students for the other people in need both in their congregation and around their general location Again, if you wish to contribute, please by all means do so. You can um, you can direct these gifts to Lighthouse Bible Church, um, in, in note that you're supporting either the um, India mission or the Pakistan mission at this time. Also, I want to remind everybody uh, schedule note that this year Christmas falls on a Sunday. That means we'll have service the day, this, we'll have Christmas service the Sunday before that. We will have Bible study both the Thursday before and the Thursday after Christmas. And we will also have service on New Year's Day. So we won't have service on Sunday, Christmas Day. We will have service the following Thursday and the following Sunday. So we'll just have one day that we won't have service. All right, let's begin. The title to this message comes from our passage today in Second Corinthians 5, which will be there in a little while. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. We'll see what that's all about. Once again, to, to begin, remember our work in the scriptures for the last three months has been to discover what the Bible says about what it means to be human or very simply, what is man? We have seen the creation of man the first creation in the garden. Then we observe the fall of man. So we had created man and fallen man. We've also looked at the unique humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are three different kinds, categories, types of man that that we've seen in, in human history. We see it through the eyes of the word of God, created man in the garden, fallen man, and the unique humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as a reminder Remember that the, we now have Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. He's resurrected, he ascended, and he's seated at the right hand of, Father, of the Father. And he is now a completely new kind of man because he's now glorified. Now, keep this in mind, because when we look at Christ as believers in the church age, we see him not as he was on earth. We see him as he's seated now in heaven. Our orientation is to the Christ seated in heaven. That's so important. We're going to see in the first passage today that Paul addresses that very thing. And it's important to understand that. So we have two polar opposite men. We have fallen man and the head of fallen man is Adam. And then we have glorified man, the Lord Jesus Christ. The entire story of the human race is wrapped up in the legacies of these two men, Adam And Christ. So each and every member of the human race—you, me, your neighbors, everyone in in history—at any point in time—is related to one, but only one, of these two men. Last Sunday we examined the principle of federal headship. I want to just just remind everybody about that. When we say federal in connection with the Word of God, it refers to the action of one person. And on behalf of all in a group in, a, in as a representative, in other words, when Adam fell, we all fell with him and because of his one act we are condemned because of the one act of Adam. but on the other hand, we are also justified and so that means that and we are we are justified on the basis of one man as well and that is Jesus Christ and his one act, his death on the cross. So that's the concept of federal. That one action of one calls for all as, as the representative of all. But not only that, it also refers to the consequences. The consequences of that one act also apply to all. We saw that very, very um, clearly last week. So, again, we have I'm getting a bunch of messages here. <laughs> I don't know what they are. OK, so again, the consequences of that action as well. And um, just to recoup, because we were in Romans, remember, 5, verses 12 to 21 last Sunday, where it presents the whole whole story of man and Adam and Adam's representative acts and the consequences, the results of condemnation and death. And then we saw the the one act of the Lord Jesus Christ and the results, life and justification. And again, that was all in Romans 5. Two, twelve 12 to 21, two representative men, two actions, two results. The condemnation that came to the whole human race was by the trespass of Adam. In other words, it's not because you sinned that you were condemned by God. It's not even because you were born a sinner that you were condemned by God. It was because Adam sinned and we were in Adam. With the moment that he sinned, we were all condemned at that moment before we were born, before we committed a sin. That's so important, because since that's true, then therefore we can also be saved and justified by the action of another man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's also true. We're justified by Christ's one righteous act on the cross. Now, yes, we have to believe in Christ in order to receive those benefits of his of his death on the cross. Nevertheless, it, it, it covered, represented all man. Jesus Christ died on the cross For the sins of the world, every man has the opportunity to believe in Christ and thereby be justified. And God isn't willing. It's not his will that any human being should perish. That's so important also. So again, in chapter five of the book of Romans, verses 12 to 21, God has traced the whole history of the human race. And he started with human sin going all the way back to Adam as our representative. He stood for us. And his sin became condemnation and death, not only to him, but also to us. On the other hand, we see Christ as the, as the other representative man. He's called the last Adam and the second Adam um, in the book of 1 Corinthians. That just means there's two. And this is what we've been talking about. There's, there's the first Adam and the last Adam. No other ones. These are two representatives of the entire human race and of believers now, by the act of Christ, by his death on the cross, he has brought justification and life to believers in Jesus Christ. In other words, condemnation by Adam's sin, trespass, justification by Christ's righteous act of death. The act of one representative, not the one's represented, brought the result to pass. So now we look back at that one act that set us down as sinners instead of our own sins. See, this is the orientation that we are to have when we understand the issues of condemnation and justification. It wasn't our own act by which we were condemned, and it's not our own act that makes us right, that sets us down, declared by the Father righteous. But that's it's apart from any of our own works. This is, this is the whole gospel, and if people understood this, they wouldn't fall into a lot of errors that people fall into regarding these two most important Realities, subjects, facts, judicial decisions, condemnation and justification, especially justification. Why? Because men want to put in their own works in order to be justified. They want to strive. They want to they think that they can obey the law. They think that there's certain works that once you perform them, then God will have favor on you. And that's simply not the case. It has nothing to do with you at all. It only has to do with Jesus Christ's one act on the cross. And on the basis of that, then whoever believes in him has eternal life, life, and is justified righteousness. Our sins had nothing to do with our condemnation. Adam's sin did that. Our deeds have nothing to do with being declared righteous by God. The one act of Jesus Christ's death on the cross did that. So with this as our setting now, with the idea that there was created man, Adam, and fallen man, Adam, after the fall, we were all in Adam, the whole human race, and condemned the moment that he sinned. And then we saw Jesus Christ, the the, the unique person of the universe. He, he, He went to the cross, that one righteous act. And God the Father raised him from the dead. That was an indication that whoever believes in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. And, now, and then we now see Jesus Christ raised and, and ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. And every part of this is, is a fact, but it also the very, the very contrast between Adam at, at fallen in the grave down here on earth... Jesus Christ raised and ascended and seated at the right hand of the father tells you the the scope of what it means to be human right there. And it also tells you that as far as Adam fell and all of us with him. okay, and we, we were not just restored as believers in Christ to where Adam was before the fall. A lot of people think that a lot of people think, well, we're back to where Adam was. And that is simply not the case. We are actually far higher than Adam ever was. Remember, we're not we're not orienting to Jesus Christ on Earth. You see, Adam was earthly. He, when he was perfect, he was created perfect in a natural environment that was perfect here on Earth. So we're not just restored to that, but we go way beyond that. Our orientation is in heaven. That's what Colossians three: set your mind on the things above, because that's where you are. Right. Well, in Ephesians chapter two, it it says after after God had mercy on us and made us alive, he then put us with Christ and we were resurrected with him. We were seated with him. As far as God is concerned, that's already our position. Of course, that's not already our daily experience because we have to, as it were, catch up to who we are. That's the whole Christian life is to be who we are. And we'll see more of this. So again, all of this, though, now enters the next question. You see, now that we've seen fallen man, now that we've seen the unique person of the universe, Christ, it's time to look at us as believers in Jesus Christ. What kind of human are we? What kind of humanity is the church age believer? Because after all, that's who we are. And at a certain point in time, we do have the Bible does turn to us and say, now that you know all of this, Now, I want you to see who you are. And so much of what's in the epistles answers that question, who we are in relationship to Christ seated at the right hand of the father. And we're going to we're going to explore what the word of God has to say about that this morning. And we're going to begin now in Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse 14. Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse 14. if you could turn there now. 2 Corinthians 5 is, uh, of course, after 2 Corinthians 4, and it's there where um, Paul talks about the fact that we long to be um, unclothed from our earthly body and clothed in heaven with Christ. And so he's setting things up in that same dichotomy, that same before and after. We're in these bodies of corruption now. It's the last vestige of who we were in Adam, but one day we'll be raised and face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. With that in mind, now let's read our passage, Second Corinthians 5, 14 to 17. For the love of, Christ constrains us. By the way, I'm reading a different translation because I like it in certain respects, although I know that uh, it's pretty much you can follow it in the New American Standard as well. For the love of Christ constrains us, having judged this, that one died for all. There's that one representative act in a very simple, clear statement. One died for all. Jesus Christ died on the cross for all people. And then he goes on then all have died and he died for all that they who live now there it is he died for all and then there's a group who live and that's believers and this very clearly shows that not everybody for whom Christ died is going to be in Christ because there's, there's, the, there's the issue of believing in Christ So he died for all that those who live should no longer live to themselves but to him who died for them And has been raised. In other words, the orientation of the natural man is selfish, is to think about everything in terms of himself. But that's not us. You see, now that we are believers in Christ, raised with him, seated with him, you see, now we are to look at him and live our life according to him, to him, because he died for us and was raised. Verse 16 So that we henceforth know no one according to flesh. You see, before we became believers in Christ, that's how we knew everybody. We made all the distinctions that every other fallen member of the human race made by race, by religion and so forth. We looked at some men and we thought that they were they, they were uh, great in certain respects. We looked down at other people who we thought were lesser. Perhaps you, you admired the rich or the powerful or, or, or the talented or the, or the intelligent. And you perhaps look down on those who were the opposite of that. But now that's all in the past. That is all the, the, the thinking and the behavior of the old man the Bible talks about, man and Adam, no longer. And notice the next statement. Even if even we have known Christ according to the flesh. Now, Paul is writing on behalf of both him and other apostles and other people that were around him, some of which knew Christ when he was Before he went to the cross, they knew him, as it were, after the flesh, according to flesh. Now, flesh here does not mean that sinful presence inside us. Of course it doesn't, because Jesus never had that. It just talks about in terms of his humanity before he died and was raised from the dead. We don't know Christ. Notice we even if we have some of them had. We haven't, by the way, but some of them knew Christ according to flesh. They saw him, they touched him, they listened to him, they walked with him, and so forth. However, now we, believers in Christ now, know him thus no longer. We do not know Christ after the flesh. What is that talking about? It's what I've already mentioned this morning. Our orientation to Christ is not how he's presented in the Gospels. Let me make it clear from the Scriptures. It's not. We don't orient to Christ as he is in the Gospels. For one thing, Jesus Christ in the Gospels came and ministered to the Jewish people. He said it himself. I have have not come for the Gentile. I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. And so that was his earthly orientation. Uh, According to flesh, when he was here, his ministry was to the Jewish people. We clearly don't orient to that. So what instead we orient to him in heaven, raised and seated at the right hand of the father. That's what this is talking about. We know Christ just, thus no longer according to flesh, but according to his him in heaven. So if anyone now here's the key verse that we're going to look at this morning. So if anyone be in Christ, new creation. This is why I like this translation. If anyone be in Christ, new a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things about the new man have become new. Now, if anyone be in Christ, it's talking about the believers. It's talking about members of the body of Christ. If anyone be in Christ, everyone who believes in Christ is in Christ. We'll see more of that. We'll see how it is that that happens. But in any event, that's a fact. Every one of us who believed in Christ are a new creation, something new, something God has brought on the scene after Christ was seated. Out of nothing, he then created something new, the new man, the new creation. And because of that, we are no longer in the flesh. We are no longer in, in Adam. We are no longer those things anymore. Those have passed away for us. Those are behind us. As a matter of fact, in terms of our orientation, orientation to Christ, we died with him, like we just saw in verse 14. Therefore, those things, as far as God sees us, are dead and gone. We've died to sin. We've died to the law. And we live according to Christ in heaven. So that's so important. We're going to keep seeing that. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Excuse me for a second. So, in other words, very simply, whoever is in Christ, you this morning, if you're a believer, is a brand new creation. Brand new. All the old things about you have passed away. So, you are no longer the person you were before you believed in Christ. See? You are now a new creation. You are, as it were, a completely new humanity. We are all together that, as believers in Christ. This is radical. This is amazing. The, this is something that, if the church today understood, it would totally revolutionize the, all the people in the church. If they understood this, if they, if they were taught this, rather than um, politics, rather than even just thinking about how we have to behave morally. Okay, that's that's like a honestly, that's a small part of being a Christian. Now, it is part. We are we are in the process of being sanctified and made holy. Absolutely. But all of that hinges on who we are. You see, we're a new creation. And essentially the, 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 the epistles say, now that you know who you are, act like who you are. You see it. If we understand that we're in union with Christ, then we'll act like it. Okay. if we understand that Christ is in us. There'll be a sense of 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 awe about that, and we'll live that way. See, knowledge precedes action. Understanding who you are uh, gives you the capability to live according to what the New Testament epistles say is possible. Remember, we saw last week in Romans Romans chapter five that those are that we are to reign in life. We who have been justified, we who have who have been made righteous, declared righteous are to live in a way that we are above the problems of life, above the difficulties, reign in life. But nobody is going to do that if they don't understand that they've been newly created by God or what Jesus talked about, born again, you see. And this is, is, by the way, on a spiritual level, you see. Now, I know, we think about this morning, I mean, I still have memories of what I was like before I became a believer in Christ. I still have sin in the body, as Paul teaches in Romans 6. So this is, uh, this is spiritually speaking. This is God who is timeless. This is God who saw us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So that's, he's saying, look, I know these things are true about you, even though right now you don't see them that way because you don't understand everything the way I do. However, the Lord says, I'm going to tell you these things. Anyway, and I want you simply to believe them. If you if you if you believe that you have died with Christ, then you will act like a person who has died with Christ, that your sins will no longer be something that condemns you and burdens you. Now, they're still just as wrong as they ever were. This is not to say that sin is is is, God has said sin is not evil. Well, it still is, but doesn't have to condemn us, doesn't have to make us make us burdened down with guilt. OK, because we know what, that Jesus Christ has died for all of our sins and we are to live a new life. So, again, this new creation, this expression refers to a completely new kind of humanity and it refers to it as an in terms of an act. You see, when we say we're a new creation, it means that God has acted to create something that was not here again, a newly created person as well as a totally new creation see are we are we are now individually regenerated the bible talks about okay given the the life of jesus christ put into christ as individuals but we're also part of a, a totally new humanity that's what that's what the new creation is taught and it was made so not by anything that happened to us in terms of our actions or anybody else's actions upon us, but a totally new act of creation. By God's sovereign act, God has now brought something into being which was not before into being. He has brought something into being out of nothing, created a new one. Now, I say nothing because it's not something that stems from, is an addition to, is even a change to who we were in Adam. It's totally new. He brought this out of nothing by a sovereign act of creation. By the way, this is exactly parallel to the first time that God created humanity in Genesis 1. He created man out of now. You say he created him out of the dust of the earth. Well, yes, but he created them. He gave them a soul, him, Adam and the woman. He created him. And I want you to go back now. Let's refresh our memories. And we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1. This has to do with the first time that God created humanity. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. What God has now done in creating a new humanity in Christ, he had done before in in a parallel way when he first created humanity in Genesis chapter 1. So if you could turn there now. Genesis 1, we're going to be in verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Remember, originally, man was made in the image and likeness of God. When we when mankind fell, that was tarnished. It wasn't completely gone, but it was tarnished. OK, so in other words, when he says make man in our image, remember, we saw that that, that meant that with a with a with a mind, with a heart, with, 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 with this characteristics, he gave us sovereignty on a lower level than his own. OK, so we were made in his image and likeness. Then he goes on, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth. Mankind, original creation was earthly and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then he repeats, God created man in his image, his own image and the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. By the way, that tells us there are how many genders? There's two. Right. Don't don't get confused. Please don't get confused about this. There's two genders. Anything else that's taught is against the word of God. So what does this mean? Okay, so that was the first creation. Now we just read in Second Corinthians chapter five that there's a new creation. And so what it means is now for the second time, for the final time, God has created a new human race. That's the way we need to think of ourselves. We are no longer the kind of humanity that fallen Adam was. We are a new human race, a totally new kind of humanity. OK, let's go back to Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse 17. At the end of our message this morning, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. Yes, that's why you have the elements, those of you here locally. We're going to go back to 2 Corinthians 5 when we do that. Okay? It's going to connect what we've been looking at in terms of the one righteous act of Jesus Christ with who we are. Okay, but now 2 Corinthians five seventeen. So if anybody, anyone be in Christ, and if you're a believer in Christ, you are in Christ. There is new creation. The old things have passed away behold all things have become new and again this time he's created another humanity and this time it's a spiritual man designed for a heavenly existence this is this is part of what's new. you see the, the fact that we've been created we've been created now for eternal life we receive eternal life we have been declared righteous in God's eyes forever. these are new things okay? We are also indwelt by the Holy Spirit as well as the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a new thing. So this new humanity is very different from even Adam in the garden, better than even Adam when he was first created. We have been designed for a heavenly existence. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 45. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five. We're going to see here the two men again. We're going to see the first Adam and the last Adam. All of human history can be explained in the actions and consequences of these two men. Again, verse, verse 45 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. Adam had a soul. What this means, by the way, is the soul is that which relates to the things of earth. You see, everybody has a soul. I mean, we're saying this morning that, that you know, it, our, it is well with our soul because we are believers in Christ. OK, but everybody has a soul. Why? Because you need that to understand that you're a human being, to be able to reflect to, about yourself, to be able to orient to the things of earth, to other people and so forth. That's the first Adam. He became a living soul. However, now there's the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only two Adams, the first and the last, the first and the second. The last Adam became, noticed a life giving spirit. There's the difference. You have, you have a living soul with the first man, Adam, and then you have a life giving spirit, the second, and the last Adam, Jesus Christ, verse 46. However, the spiritual is not first but the natural, then the spiritual. The big picture of this section of First, of the whole of First Corinthians 15 is the resurrection of the body, you see. And so he is describing this, and he's talking about the body in terms of a natural body and a spiritual body. Now, remember, we've seen that man, you can think about man in terms of his mind, heart, soul, and body. Remember that? Mind, heart, soul, and body. That's what Jesus talked about in terms of how Everyone is to love God with all their mind, heart, soul, and strength. And that was done in a natural body. Okay. That, that, you do all of that in your soul. But now this, 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 so he's talking about, by the way, the body also is sort of the last, That sort of, is the last part of us who will be redeemed. Okay. Our body right now is not redeemed. Our, our soul, our spirit, Yes perfect our body is not perfect our body is the only part of us that's not changed at all by the fact that we are born again yet our body hasn't been changed yet it will you see the idea this is something that is a mystery but it's it's the way god has designed our life as believers in christ that our spirit is perfect now our soul isn't perfect either Our mind isn't perfect. It's new, but it needs to be trained. It needs to be taught. It needs to develop. And so our spirit, our soul is on the way in this life. It's progressing. Our body is not. Our body is still there, and it's a body of sin. Now, we are called to present that body as an instrument of righteousness, but it is not a redeemed body because it's not a resurrected body yet. In any event, notice what he says. The spiritual is not first. No, because Adam came first. The natural was first, and then the spiritual. And he goes back to talk about Adam. But now he's going to talk about him, as we've been seeing, as a representative of a kind of humanity. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven, heavenly. Verse 48. As is the earthly, as Adam so are also are those who are earthly all born as earthly people as they are earthly kind of humanity and as is the heavenly Jesus Christ so also those who are heavenly you see are we are now a spiritual creation we are designed for a heavenly existence Jesus is already in heaven he's heavenly but we are also in union with him and we are also ultimately a heavenly Race of of humanity in verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we were born in Adam. We will also bear the image of the heavenly. Mankind was originally created in the image and likeness of God. When we fell, that was tarnished. But then when we are created anew, okay, now we are once again created. We'll see this in the image of God. But not only that. We're also we are also on our way to being transformed into the image of Christ as well in this humanity, which is sort of a double portion of the image of God, as it were. Now, let's talk about a few things about this new creation that we are. And again, this is something that is totally misunderstood and misrepresented, unfortunately, um, among Christians, Okay, because. Let's face it. Most Christians don't study the word of God in enough regularity and and intensity to be able to master these things. Right. They may they may have read it once, but I hope you can see that both the word of God and um, the way I teach this is 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 a manner of repetition. See, our souls, our minds are still being renovated and they're not renovated by just reading something once. They're renovated by hearing it again and again, by considering it again and again, by having that mind renewed a little bit at a time. And so so but this is something that unfortunately, if you were to ask the Christian on the street, they would give you the wrong answer for the most part. Here's what I'm talking about. We're seeing this new creation. And and you wonder, where does it come from? Well, remember, it's a creation, right? What does that mean? God created it from nothing. He didn't start with the old man and fix it. See, that's what a lot of people think. They think that, well, now I'm an improved version of what I was before. See, I cleaned up my life that then I'm better than I was before. But that's not true. The new creation is not the old creation that's improved, it's not an improved version of the old man. It's not the old man after he's been cleaned up and straightened out. The old man hasn't been reformed, okay? It's not a re-education or a reformation of the old man. It's It's not. So you don't think about who you were before you came to Christ and then how much you've improved, you see? That's not it at all. You'll be on the wrong track if you think that way. No, the old man is gone for us. We've died to that, died to it. It's no longer part of who we are. The new man is totally new. It's created new. It's not the old man that's been cleaned up and straightened out or reformed or reeducated. Christians who live that way are Christians that don't have the power that God wants them to have because they haven't learned these things. They haven't come to know these things. By the way, the old man definitely didn't evolve into the new man. Right. Now, this is something that, of course, is from evolution and from uh, the so-called genius of Darwin and so forth. Definitely not what we're talking about. See, 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 see the the world and false religion believe that man is perfectible. That man is getting better. You know that that we're as it we're evolving into something better. I mean, I mean the visions and the utopia of 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 false religion and even this world think we're gonna eradicate crime. Well that's talking about this. It's talking about an evolution of of a man getting better. Listen, the only way to eradicate crime, okay, is to have a nation of believers in Jesus Christ who is being worked upon by the Holy Spirit in the new man. That's the only way. We're not gonna evolve, we're not gonna get better. By the way, Bible tells us that This kind of man is getting worse, not better, right? The old man is depraved and getting worse, corrupted and getting more corrupted, more and more living in deceit. In the last days, difficult times will come, right? The last days over here on the right, difficult times. Men will be what? Lovers of self, lovers of money, disobedient to parents, not getting better, getting worse. That's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is something that happened to our old man. Believers, right? Not the world, not man and Adam, but us. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the old man of ours, as believers in Christ, who we were, was crucified with Christ, according to Romans 6. 6. In other words, your old man was has been crucified. And the Bible also says that we were buried with Christ. Buried. So our old man is, is crucified and buried. Not not the world, but ours. I like you to turn now to Romans chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 5. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of Christ's death, if we're a believer in Christ, we have. You've already been united together in the likeness of his death. You don't have to die to sin, as so many Christians think. You've already died to sin. You see, the issue is not you changing yourself. The issue is you catching up with who you are and living that way. Okay? I'm going to repeat that a lot, too, because, again, that's fundamental. That's fundamental. By the way, the book of Romans is fundamental. You know, I I, I think we need to go back and study the book of Romans because what it does is it sets the foundation for everything else that comes after it. You know, I believe that that not only, of course, I believe that the scriptures are God breathed and divinely inspired. I also. This is a belief. This is a. This is a something that is not dogmatic. But I believe also that the order of the of Paul's epistles is divinely inspired. The reason I say that is because you can see by by a careful study of Romans that it is the foundation of everything else. If in Romans seven, for example, it talks about the fact that we are no longer under the law, well, then back, now back and forward and go forward to Galatians. What's that about? We're no longer under the law. You see, if in chapter six, it says we've died to sin, then first and second Corinthians talk about the implications of that, because it's all about about all about our proper relationship to one another and so forth. In any event, this is a pivotal, pivotal chapter in the book of Romans. So we're just going to look at a slice of it this morning, of course. Again, Romans six, five to six. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, we have been. We've already, as it were, been baptized, placed into, permanently identified with the death of Christ. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay, we are also in Christ, in his resurrection, and his ascension and his session. Those things are true about us. Notice the next two words in starting verse six. Knowing this, what's the key? What's the key to it, having a life where, where we are less and less in the, in the realm of committing sins and more and more in the realm of presenting our bodies as a sacrifice to the Lord? This, verse 6, knowing, knowing this, knowing what? That our old man was crucified with Christ. Our old man, who we were in Adam, is gone. It's crucified with Christ. Because of that, notice, our, that our body of sin might be done away with. Now this doesn't mean this doesn't mean disappear. Okay, it doesn't mean obliterate. It means put out of business. No longer able to dominate us. We are not, not only are we not under sin, I mean the law is a master, we're not under sin as a master either. Sin is no longer dominating us as it was, as it was to everybody who hasn't become a Christian. That our old man was crucified with Christ, that our body of sin might be done away with that we will no longer be slaves of sin. That's us. Okay. Old man, slave to sin. New man, crucified. The old man's been crucified. See, our as believers, our life in Adam ended at the cross. This is how God looks at it. He says, believer, okay, this is what I want you to understand. Right? Yes, you've been justified, but also the old man, who you were, has is gone, it's crucified. Okay, it's on, a, it's on the cross with Christ. And that is because of that, then the other things follow. But the key point here is that for, for us as believers in Christ, our old man has been crucified. Okay, and God has started anew with the new man. Okay, united with, with Christ in his death follows united with Christ in his resurrection. New man, new creation. Okay, let's go back again to 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're going to move to the second half of this verse. Now, we're going to see references to old things and new things. Old things and new things. Old man crucified with Christ. New men, new things have come. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So if anyone be in Christ, there is a new creation. The old things have passed away. They passed away. Old man is our old man is crucified with Christ on the cross. The old things about us have passed away. Behold, all all things about us as believers in Christ as a new creation have become new. The old things have passed away for anyone who is in Christ. They've passed away. They haven't been lessened. They haven't been reformed. They've passed away. We are a new creation. But we're going to take a minute now to, to, to look at what these old things were. What does it mean by the old things? What are these old things that for us have passed away? Well, one thing that we know of for sure, and we're not going to look at this passage today because we're going to look at it next week, but Ephesians 4.22 refers to the old things as our entire former manner of life, the kind of life that we lived that formerly is what he's talking about when he's talking about the old things. Okay. Now, what are those things? Well, the old things are all characteristics of the old humanity in Adam. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to revisit this passage this morning, looking at it through the lens of these things have passed for the believer in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. What are the old things? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly. What a great word. That's the word of grace. You were formerly this. God has made you something new by his grace, not by anything we have done. You formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Let that be a humbling statement now, by the way. Every one of us, we have nothing to brag about, about what we brought to the table, about who we were before we came to Christ. All of those things. Paul said all those things which I thought were a gain to me, my supposed keeping of the law, the fact that I was a special tribe. And he said those things are nothing. OK, we were actually w- walking according to the prince of the power of the air. We are walking according to the ways and the thinking of Satan himself, of the spirit that is now still working in the sons of disobedience. Don't get too cocky because, verse 3, among them we too all, and there's the grace word, formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. This is something that we, if we can understand this, we can understand statements that are made about the fact that um, those who commit adultery um, will not see the kingdom, okay? We hear that verse, maybe it's not adultery, but there's lots of other things, the same statement. By the way, we all fit under one of those things, okay, that are talked about. Why? Because we were all born dead in our trespasses and sins. And that's a humbling thing. But the grace word is what? formerly. That's who we used to be. Now, notice, not just what we used to do, but who we used to be. You see, the reason why we were born dead in our trespasses and sins is because that who we were, we were in Adam. Therefore, we took our precedent from him. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Let's continue in verse three now. Finish this up. Among them, we too all formerly lived. We lived in the lusts of our flesh you may say, well, I didn't do that. I was a good person. Wrong. You were, every one of us lived in the lust of our flesh. Now, maybe not all of them, but certainly some of them. Now, maybe you, didn't, maybe you think of this word and most people automatically immediately think of sex. And they say the word lust. Well, that's, that's a modern thing. That's our modern language. That's not what this word talks about. It means that desires that are out of whack, desires that are in order, desires that are according, not according to the desires God wants you to have. Now, when you look at it that way, if you were proud, you were living in the lust of your flesh. If you got angry, you were living in the lust of your flesh. If you were greedy, you were living in the lust of the flesh and of the mind. All of us fit into that. All of us do. I've mentioned this before. See, we were indoctrinated with lies when we were children of one kind or another. Right. For example, you know, maybe your mom told you you were a good boy or a good girl. Well, I love mothers, but she lied to you <laughs> unless you're a believer in Christ until you were a believer in Christ. Why? Because we were really indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You see it? There's desires of the flesh, bodily type things. But even worse, there's desires of the mind, what, what, what the Bible talks about in the, in the Ten Commandments, coveting, for example. So when mama told you you were a good boy, she lied to you. Because at the same time, you were indulging these. Now, you may say, well, I didn't, I didn't have any sexual sins when I before I came to Christ. No. But did you ever lie to anybody? Were you ever arrogant when mama told you that? Did you, like, burst with pride and say, I'm better than other people? Then you, could, you were in the lust of the mind. Okay? All of us were. None of us get out of this. Okay? Why? Because we were, by nature, the kind of humanity we were, children of wrath, even as the rest. So Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3 talk about the old things. That, that, thank God, were former things for us, that they passed away for us. Being dead in trespasses and sins, that's an old thing. That is no longer true about us. Walking according to the course of this world is an old thing. It's no longer true about us. Now you might be worldly at times, but you know you no longer walk. Your manner of life is no longer according to the course of this world. It can't be if you're a believer in Christ, okay, Because our nature, we're going to see this at the end if we get that far this morning. But we have a new mind. Okay, we used to indulge the the lusts of the flesh and of a sinly mind, a, a depraved mind. But we now have a new mind, the mind of Jesus Christ. So we don't we no longer walk according to the cross course of this world. The old things, the former manner of living, meant that we were literally walking according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan. That was us. That we were all, as it were, as Jesus talked about to the Pharisees, we were all children, not of God, but of Satan. Okay. Old things also included living in the lust of our flesh. That's an old thing. Romans, Romans 8 is going to tell us we are no longer in the flesh. We no longer live according to the flesh. And the old things included indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You add all that up, the old things add up to what we were by nature, children of wrath. Let me tell you about these old things that we used to be. Humanity in Adam has a depraved mind. That's who we were. and That was the course of our life. That was the old thing about us. We no longer do. We no longer have a depraved mind. Why? Because we've been born anew. We are a new creation. Not only that, but the old man, humanity and Adam, behaves wickedly and adopts many evil practices. See, it's attitudes and behavior. That's the old man. Okay. Not only that, but the old man has a hardened heart and lustful desires. That's the old man. W- 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 a lot of people want to say that Christians can get a hard heart. That's a misrepresentation of scripture. Whenever it talks about a hardened heart, now it's talking about an unbeliever. Okay, so We are, we don't have a hardened heart. and never will anymore as believers in Christ. Lustful desires as a manner of living, dominated by them, living a lifestyle that matches up with these desires completely and full of deceit. We all may still lie from time to time, but we are not people of deception. Okay? We have at least been, been 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 changed by the truth of the gospel. Every Christian has. Not only that, but but Christians, our new creation, reborn children of God, desires and craves the word of God. So we are not going to be full of deceit any longer. Those are all old things. Those but those things have passed away for the person who was in Christ Jesus. Back to 2 Corinthians one more time, 5.17. Because out with the old, in with the new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. So if anyone would be in Christ, new creation. Old things have passed away. We've just seen what some of those old things are. Behold, all things about us have become new. Why? Because we're a completely new creation. God, as it were, again, put the old man on the cross for us, and brought about a entirely new man that we are now. These things, these new things that are referred to in 2 Corinthians 17, are all things associated with our new humanity in Christ. That's how he can say, all things have passed away, and everything about us has become new, because we're a new creation. Okay, Created from nothing. And as we'll see next week, we've been once again created in the image and likeness of God, and we're never going to lose that. Because we're now spiritual human beings. These are things associated with the new humanity in Christ. We're going to look at these things today. I just want to introduce them as we close. The new man, as we know, has a new status before God. Completely new. What am I talking about? Before we believed in Christ, our status before God was condemned. Since we believed in Christ, our status before God is justified. Those are complete opposites. We have an entirely new status. The new things have come. The new man has a new status before God. If you're a Christian, you have a new status before God. You are in Christ, who has become our righteousness and our wisdom. The new man has new desires, new capacities. That word capacity, uh, that's a key to understanding the new man. Okay, Because it, it doesn't mean that we automatically are going to be totally renovated in our thinking. But in our in our nature, we have been when first John talks about the new the new child of God, not sinning. It's talking about the new creation. OK, doesn't mean we don't because we're right now. Remember, we're, we're perfect in our spirit, but we still have a mind that needs to be renewed. However, we have the new capacity. We have the capacity to understand the things of God, which we didn't before we believed in Jesus Christ. A new man has a new mind. and Thank God he does. It's the mind of Christ. We, don't, we no longer have the mind of the flesh. We have the mind of Jesus Christ. That's radically different. That's a totally new thing. That's part of the, all things that are new for us. And, of course, we have a new life. We have eternal life and a new destiny. Our destiny is to be in heaven with Christ forever. And when we see him, we will be like him. Old things have passed away. New things are here to stay. I'd like to close with one more passage. And that is Romans 8. Romans 8, starting in verse 5. <coughs> you can see these things for yourself. Old things, the new things. Romans 8, starting in verse 5. For those, they that are according to flesh, mind, there's the mind, the things of the flesh. That's the old things. That's us in Adam. Those are unbelievers. For they that are according to flesh, mind the things of the flesh. But they that are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Those are the new things that have come. The old things, the things of the flesh. The new things, the things of the Spirit. Why? Because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. I like this translation. It's different from yours. For the mind of the flesh is death. You see, the flesh has a mind. depraved mind. That mind is death. But the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. That's our mind now. We have the mind of Jesus Christ. Does it mean we always act that way? No. But we have a new capacity to understand the things of the Spirit, the things of God. Verse 7, the mind of the flesh, we no longer have that. That's an old thing, is enmity against God, at war with God. It's not subject to the law of God. Notice this, Nor neither indeed can it be. That's an old thing. That's who we were. When we were unbelievers, we were not capable of being subject to the principles that God has set for human beings. We're not capable of it. That's why we shouldn't expect that from the unbeliever. Notice verse 8. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. I hope you can see by verse eight that this does not talk about a believer because we are pleasing to God. By the way, not because of anything we have done, but because we have been declared righteous on the basis of Jesus Christ, one righteous act on the cross. In other words, we are no longer in the flesh. We still have the flesh in us. But we are no longer of the flesh. We've moved on. We've passed on to a new humanity. Verse 9 this proves it. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed God's spirit dwells in you, God's spirit dwells in every believer. So you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. If anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, the unbeliever, he's not of him. Verse 10 but if Christ be in you, and he is, if you're a believer, So the body is dead on account of sin. You see, the body still hasn't been redeemed, but the spirit is life on account of righteousness. Those are the new things that have come. (coughs) Now, next week, we're going to look at statements that talk directly about the new man. Those statements are in the book of Ephesians and Colossians. I'm going to look at three key passages specifically talking directly about the new man. (coughs) And we're going to ask some questions and get answers. How did this new man come into being? What are his characteristics? And what is his destiny? We'll pick things up next Sunday with the with these questions and answers. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for telling us the truth about who we now are, explaining how we've left behind the things of the old man, and that we have been created new. We are a new creation. We ask us we ask Father now that the Spirit would take that information that we've been enlightened with and and change our thinking by it and change us things how we understand who we are. Father now, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are going to look back to that one righteous act that that made us capable of being justified by faith, the death of Christ. And as we do so, Father, help us to deepen our understanding on the basis of what we've been learning. We ask this in Christ's name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. I had a song, but in the interest of time, because I went a little over, we are not going to look at it. Okay. So, you would please prepare the communion elements for yourself. I always have to do this ahead of time. There's always a danger that I will spill these, so I got to be real careful. Okay. In Romans five eighteen to 21, we read, So then as through one transgression, the sin of Adam, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. The act of one representative, Jesus Christ, or Adam, not the ones whom they represented, brought the results to pass. We were made guilty by Adam's one act. We didn't have to wait to be born, have a sinful nature, or commit a sin. But in the same way, God grounds our justification completely in the work of someone else other than ourselves, Christ the last Adam, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we bring into remembrance the death of the Lord. And, and each month we consider a different aspect of the death of Christ. In the scriptures, as we see every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, God has revealed many, many, many precious truths about the death of Christ. And this morning we were going to focus on one fact, that our deeds have nothing to do with our being declared righteous by God. The one act of Christ's death on the cross accomplished that. What can we say? What can we say about these things? Since God is for us, who can be against us? He didn't spare his own son. He delivered him up first of all. Now, how can he not freely give us all things? You see, see, the fact that We are justified on the basis of Christ's death on the cross. It's really beyond our ability to figure out. It's nothing that the human imagination would ever have come up with. And so we should draw some conclusions, though, on the fact, on this fact that as we saw this morning, the love of Christ constrains us, knowing that one died for all, Jesus Christ, therefore all died. But he died for all of us. So that we who live, we have eternal life now. We know that we are something new. We should no longer live to ourselves, but to him who died for them, for us, and has been raised. So as we partake of the communion elements this morning, we can celebrate the freedom that Jesus won for us at the cross. But we also need to consider how we're going to use that freedom now, not to live to ourselves, but to him who died for us. I see from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. I did it for you. One died for all. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper. Saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Remembering that my one righteous act on the cross, dying for you and the sins of the world, has purchased for you not only forgiveness of sins and removal of guilt, but also justification, being declared righteous, Jesus says, by my Father. And being capable... (coughs) Of having new attitudes, being capable now of rising above and having a life that where you reign. So as often as we drink the cup, let's remember who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we just want to, as we close today, we thank you for this opportunity to bring into remembrance the death of your son and to understand what his one righteous act on the cross has resulted in for all who believe in him. And we ask, Father, this morning, furthermore, that we would take this understanding to heart, allow the Spirit to change our thinking about who we are and what our lives are to mean, And to go forward in that manner, including how we treat one another and how we live our lives uh, above the problems and difficulties of life. We ask this in the name of Jesus.